The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I'm enjoying a cup of hot chocolate because it's just that type of day. It's been raining constantly since I opened my eyes this morning. And this week is special, so instead of talking about a book I've just finished, I'm going to be talking with an author about his upcoming book, Death on the Pier, one I really enjoyed and would definitely recommend. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. And I'm here today with Jamie West to talk about his brand new book and your first book, I believe, Death, Death on the Pier, which I read a couple of weeks ago and it was perfect for me. As you all know, I love mysteries. I love cozy mysteries. And one of my favorite authors all time is Agatha Christie, because I think she got that pitch perfectly. And this one for some, well, not even for some reason, this actually really reminded me of Agatha Christie's stylings. I mean, it was based during the 1920s, 1930s, I believe. And there was just that tone, the feel of that era is so specific. I don't think we were ever going to repeat it. So, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today and tell us all about your book. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm re- like, it's always flattering when people compare me to Agatha Christie because I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm at all on that level. But it is so flat. It's so nice to hear because that is, you know, that's certainly the pitch I'm trying to go for. That's that's where it sits it's cozy but not quite cozy I always think when people describe Agatha Christie as cozy she wasn't quite she was a little bit some of them aren't cozy at all oh no Um, I've I've just finished reading Hickory Dickory Dock which was hello that was not a cozy nice anything it started off that way but it didn't finish that way (laughs) the imagination no exactly so yeah it's nice to yeah something that's just a little bit above that cozy level um but yeah, it's. I like the theatre. I like murder mysteries. So I guess it was a given that I was going to write a murder mystery set in a theatre. And here it is. <laughs> <laughs> so your main character is Bertie, who has a bit of a, I'd say, Poirot-esque feel to him. Because obviously I'm going to, I am going to continue with the Agatha Christie line because that's immediately what I started thinking when I was reading the theme of the book and the whole tone of it with the twists and turns in the theatre, the backstory of all the characters and everything else. And this is a no spoiler, a spoiler free zone. So (laughs) we can go as far (laughs) as, I'm not revealing who the murderer is because I really do recommend you read it. It was a fantastic read. I think oh, I devoured it in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Well, those are the good. I mean, I have just read Anthony Horowitz's latest book, which is also set in a theatre, and I whizzed through that. Um, and it's like, yeah, I love that experience of, and the same with Janice Hallett's books, actually. I just, I've just got to get through them. They yeah. really, like, they're page turners, not in a kind of thriller gripping way, but you've just got to get, you've got no choice but to get through them. 
Yeah, this was very character driven, I have to say. And you said Anthony Horowitz. I'm actually reading Magpie Murders at the moment. I love his books. I started off with his Alex Ryder series. I was reading them with my nephew. So I started on his Alex Ryder. I have all of them. And then I moved on to a few others. And I've even encouraged other friends to read them. So I I tend to, if I love a book, it's pass it on to the next person or this is a really good book. You need to read it. But I I love the fact that your your story was so character driven because you've got the unfortunate victim, Celia, who seems very, very nice or has the veneer of nice about her. <laughs> and then you learn all of her backstory and how she relates to every other character. And I like, I did enjoy the fact I've read a few mysteries where the main character is murdered, the victim is murdered very early on in the book. And you don't learn any of the reasons why it's initially a surprise that this character has been killed off. Or, oh yeah, that definitely is the person that needed to die. I've read a few like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard because obviously in a murder mystery, there are lots of kind of stock characters you go for. And even in the theatre, really, and this book includes quite a few of them. You know, the old hand that's been at it for a while. She yeah. is kind of the overbearing lead actress. There's the young upstarts, all those things. They are kind of kind of tropes in that world but I've tried to make sure they aren't cardboard cutouts they are real people because it makes it so much more interesting um because you want to know I just like there to be a sense of um inevitability almost when you get to the solution um you want to know that everything was pointing in that direction rather than the characters just being puzzle pieces that are going to fit in uh, yeah and make that puzzle complete um it's all the whys are really important to me. And if they all line up, um, that gives you a really satisfying conclusion, I think. You're like, oh, I see why they've done it and why they've been pushed to murder. Because murders are pretty, you know, we don't just do it um, just because we can. Like, you've really got to be pushed to murder. So why has this person um, gone down that route? And that is that all has to be character-driven. And, of course, the best Agatha Christie books, um, it's really the characters that carry those books um, all the way through the very best ones anyway I think I agree with you completely there was a lot of foreshadowing in this but until the end of it and you start to as you I mean they aren't just puzzle pieces that get slotted in willy-nilly you can actually see them clicking into place one by one and then when the revelation at the end as to who the murderer is and their motive you, you I actually I can honestly say when I finished this I went wow, now it makes sense because you could see certain things clicking into place all the way through the story and you could see the actions of certain characters and how they interacted and then how certain other plot elements developed and then you get the end and it's like, wow, now I understand it and I think that makes a good mystery because if it's really obvious from the word go, or it's an or it's a it's a surprise at the end and it doesn't make any sense. They're the ones that you question why you bothered reading them in the first place. Whereas yeah, if you've got one, the foreshadowing makes sense. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear because again, I I personally don't dislike murder mysteries where it's all set up when you get to the end and it, you could pick any of the eight characters and it would work, it would fit. Yeah. Um I really like it, yeah, to really come together like that. And I don't like it when too much is it's like, oh, this thing's going I like 
hopefully there's lots of little things that get solved all the way through i don't like it when it's all held off completely um to the end but hopefully i mean i'm not going out to trick my reader that's not my aim i don't want to get to the end and be like ah you would have never got this um i'm hoping that they might get some of it but not all of it that's that's really where i'm trying to pitch it anyway that's really what i want the experience to be because yeah i don't want to be tricked as a reader i don't want to get to the end of a book and go oh well i never would have guessed that so what was the point in reading it in the first place it's like you just want that last little piece to click into place and you're like oh of course yeah that's that's the reading experience i like from my books anyway yeah, and like on my tv it, shows you were building the motive all the way through sort of like as i said i mean we've said agatha christie but there was also elements of murder she wrote which still even though it was 1980s and 1990s that still has a very 20s 30s feel to it I think partially because of Angela Lansbury, but it had, there were elements in there. There was one thing that I guess not early on, but probably around halfway through, I went, Oh, what if that happened? I'm not going to reveal what it was, (laughs) but when it was revealed at the end and I thought, I knew that, but how was it that? Oh, now it makes sense. And I really like that way of putting things together. I don't like it when a book is obvious from the word go because then you question why you've read 300 pages. And I don't like it when, as you said, the author thinks they're being incredibly clever and they've put so many red herrings in place that you're never going to guess who did it. Because I think one of the fun things about murder mysteries in general is they take you along for the ride and you think you're an extra character in the story. I yes, love that aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's funny. I mean, it's it's probably quite sacrilegious to say on a murder mystery podcast about books, um, <laughs> but I've I've very much. I mean, I don't know how widely read I am with murder mystery books. I know I have read a lot of Agatha Christie's, but it's hard to tell which ones I've read and which ones were on the paro on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's hard to turn the TV on in the UK and not see, you know, a british tv murder mystery program there's loads of them and i think as i was growing up it was poirot it was jonathan creek uh, more recently uh, death in paradise or something i love like death in paradise <laughs> all of those things i think have influenced um you know my writing and my ideas just as much as reading all those agatha christie books i think it's all you know those are all murder mystery things that all kind of yeah that really work together Um, but I think they are also influenced greatly by Agatha Christie I'm actually last just last night I was watching a couple of episodes of the new Ben Miller Professor T because I like the procedurals (laughs) (laughs) I do enjoy them I like murder mysteries I'm not a massive fan of the dark thriller because they open your mind up to way too many nightmares when you live alone. Um, <laughs> but I yes, do en- so definitely. Yeah, but I do enjoy <laughs> I do enjoy the procedural that is quite gentle. And I would say that though there are some very, I wouldn't say dark, but there are some very nasty characters in this, it's not so dark that you you wouldn't want to read it late at night it's an entertaining and I think that is partially because of the setting and also because the setting was incredibly familiar to me yes yeah yeah I mean I guess I'm not particularly I'm no expert on 
you know, forensics and all those things, which is probably why there is not too much talk about, you know, blood and gore and all that kind of stuff in this thing, because I'm not an expert on that. Um, and also, um, as much as I do like reading a modern murder mystery, um, a lot of them are quite forensically driven. It's about DNA and matching things. And as we talked about earlier, about it being a character-driven um, plot, a character-driven book, those things are more interesting to me. So kind of setting it all back in the 1930s, we don't have to worry about all that forensic detail that I'm not personally expert on or particularly interested in. No offence to people that are. I know there are a lot of people out there that there love are those indeed. things. True uh, crime is one of one of my friends is absolutely obsessed and I think it's probably one of the most popular podcast genres out there and that is true crime. But it's not my thing either. I'd never claim to be an expert in it because... I'm not interested enough in it to research much. But again, it's so much more interesting for me is not finding out because obviously the forensics and stuff will tell you who did it, um, you know, absolutely 100%, but they won't tell you why. Um, it's only the detectives doing the interviewing and the talking or if, you know, the conversations you have those are the only ways we're going to find out why even in this you know modern world where we can prove anything with anything um it's only by talking and having those conversations with people and setting up those characters with each other seeing how they react um that you can kind of find out why and i think i said earlier that's the most important thing to me in any murder mystery is the why i think i agree with you i the motive behind the murder is the reason for a story if everything if you were writing a story that was forensically focused and only forensically focused how long how many how many chapters would it be yeah because I mean, a forensic reports can... only a couple of pages long isn't it and that's about well that's there about you it. go <laughs> i mean i know that authors do it kathy reichs is a good example with um her bones series and that is incredibly forensically focused and anthropological and everything else but it does but there is she has a foil to her own character who is focused on the where, why, and how, rather than the methodology behind it. It is very much character-driven in that respect. I think anything that is solely forensic, forensically focused would be unentertaining to the vast majority of readers, and I know that it's not something that I find interesting. And I think that with Death on the Pier, you replaced the forensics with the history because there was a lot of history and I read obviously I read the author notes and everything and you were talking about the um peer because Brighton Pier you're taught I'm there we have two <laughs> we have the Palace Pier and the West Pier and there used to be a theatre which apparently has vanished and I did not know that so it was very interesting to after I'd read your author notes and I'd read the book, I went and did my own research because I tend to go down rabbit holes and it took me on a really interesting journey. So what made you choose Brighton? <laughs> I did the exact same thing with a rabbit hole and completely disappeared down it for a while. Um, I mean, I don't have a particularly strong relationship with Brighton, although I have visited it many times over the years. Um, and I know the pier there. And originally it was the pier part of it um, that got me interested because I was like that's a great location for a closed murder mystery there's only one way on or off everyone's potentially trapped down the end you've got your closed circle of people you know um, that's a great idea and then as I started looking into the Brighton 
Palace Pier more, I was like, oh, there was a theatre on the end of it. And I am also obsessed with lost theatres. I think because I work in the theatre, you just can't not be interested. I mean, I can't anyway. Uh, You can't not be interested in the history of these places. So I started looking into that and I was like, that's when everything fell into place, having, you know, a lead character that was a playwright, his best friend being a detective. Um, From that point onwards, everything then fell into place. Um, And it was great looking into that theatre because it is a lost theatre and the idea of this book and hopefully the future books in the series is recreating some of these venues that we've lost around the UK in a book. Now they might not be so completely focused in the theatre as this one. I can't, you know, everyone would stop going to the theatre if there were murders in them all the time. So I <laughs> think I've got that, to find a balance. <laughs> you say that, wouldn't Pete, if that's the case, wouldn't people stop going to Cabot Cove, St Mary Mead, anywhere where um, Jessica Fletcher or Jane Marple or Hercule Poirot visit? That wouldn't they have all stopped going to those places? Because that's that you can guarantee if you're anywhere near them that you're going to get somebody you know or you are going to get killed yes exactly <laughs> but it was um but it was important for me to get the details of that uh the theater right so I did go and do a lot of research I got to visit the keep in Brighton where they've got loads of architectural plans and pictures um, and there was an eyewitness account that someone had kind of written down about the theater when they visited it although the handwriting was atrocious and I could only interpret about five sentences in the whole thing, but they, it was still useful. Um, so that was how I researched on the 1930s part of it anyway. Um, and also the Theatres Trust was really helpful as well. They're also, they campaigned to try and save theatres at risk. Um, they've got an archive of themselves and they sent me a load of stuff about the pier, uh, which ended up being a lot more recent, which is how I found out about the story of it truly being lost you know there's theatres around the UK that are lost because they become unused or the insides get demolished it gets repurposed for something else Um, but this one it appears anyway that as if the owners were almost careless and it just got mislaid and it never got put back again because that was the idea uh, when they demolished it or they disassembled it I should say Um, because they needed to repair the pier and the idea was that they were going to rebuild this theatre and we would have a theatre on the pier today it was grade two listed it should have been safe yeah I'm Um, trying to think what's actually on the end of the pier now yeah I did go there and I was like there must be some trace I was like a wobbly floorboard anything some trace but I did go and have a good traipse around there Um, and there's just some dodgems down there now so yeah I was gonna say I think there's dodgems and I think there's a ferris wheel and a few other things at the end of them and a ghost train there's a ghost train at the end of of the pier exactly it's relatively local to me I mean Worthing has a theatre but it's not on the end of the pier it's at the base of the pier yes. and I think and we do and there is a an event location at the end of the pier that has actually recently been remodeled so it is I mean obviously I live right by the sea and not even 20 miles away from Brighton Pier and I can actually see it on a good day if I go down to the seafront. I can see Brighton Pier. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but it's like funny you say you've got a theatre in it. The theatres, you know, I think the UK still has nearly a thousand theatres. We love the theatre in the UK. We do. And actually the murder like the murder mystery genre or the thriller genre, there's always 
plays touring um around that because we love it um so it's really fun to kind of i don't know i mean there are some like i said anthony horowitz's book there are a few books that have um things set in the theater but i was like having the theater as a really key central part rather than just a location um which it is in this one hopefully the, it feels like it's a little bit more than that having this theater there it feels like a real uh, presence rather than just a place where a murder happens perhaps that's it's not only the theater that plays a role though it's all the characters on the stage because almost every single person involved with this investigation is an actor or someone connected to the theater as in obviously our playwright Bertie they are all connected to the theatre incredibly closely rather than people that visited the theatre for a day trip or something and all of a sudden someone gets murdered in the audience, <laughs> someone's killed on stage, <laughs> which suppose... really does define it as <laughs> a murder mystery in the theatre. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it does help that, you know, even now as well as even then, it's like that theatre community is such a very tight-knit community. It gossips rife everyone sort of knows everything about everyone else in a way um so it's almost like you know it'd be like having the internet back then it's like everyone can find out everything about everyone else you know for a few contacts perhaps so it kind of um i mean that's not explored so much in this book but i guess uh, in the future it's kind of a good way to you know how detectives somehow always just have the right knowledge that they need yeah um in this situation actually it's not completely unbelievable that you know Bertie might have some inside information um that can help him out in a way well that's I mean that was one of the one of the really tiny little details that I noticed as I was reading was regarding I suppose in a way gossip because you were talking about the boarding houses that the actors stayed in during their time performing on the stage in Brighton and various other locations and that was something that I suppose you don't think about these days because when actors come down from wherever they may well probably do an Airbnb and the bigger names will have hotel rooms for them rather than rooms in boarding houses, which don't to the same extent exist anymore. And yeah, there was a whole network of kind of digs, a digs network around the UK. And, um, you know, only recently actually where people have started getting into Airbnbs, but it was like, in the olden days, I mean, I say the olden days when I started, um, each theatre would have, a, you know, an A4 side of paper with all the people that could offer you accommodation and you'd have to ring up and ring around and try and arrange it. But yeah, all these places, um, it's not, you know, it's not just the theatres that people are passing through with their shows, people passing through with the shows. It's also that whole network around it, people passing through these digs um, every single week, pretty much. Um, there's just so much going on, <laughs> which is kind of um, fascinating. It really is. So what inspired you to create Bertie as the central character? As I said, he had this almost Poirot in my head. That is how I envisaged him being very, very wise, sensible, precise, and in, and retaining a lot of information about so many different things but he also had this fascination for a specific type of theatre and he obviously loved the theatre. So what inspired you to create him? I guess what I, I really wanted someone who was an expert 
in plotting murder mysteries essentially so he is he is like he's not based on agatha christie in any way and actually agatha christie's playwriting career came a lot lot later than the 1930s you know uh, when it yes. really got started um but i wanted someone who was an expert in that kind of creative way of looking at a murder mystery as a counterpoint for the detective that looks at it quite clinically it's like how many times is it you just need to look at something a slightly weird way and that kind of you know the truth is stranger than fiction it's like if you can apply your idea of you know plotting almost to a real life case um can you kind of uncover something different there's a bit where he's going through and he's like okay so in my last few plays what was the plot does that work here if I was writing this as a play how would what would the resolution be and it's just a different way of looking um at these cases and I thought yeah that was a really good way of getting into um the investigating because it means he can actually investigate he's almost not an amateur sleuth in that kind of hobbyist way he almost does it as a job um but fictionally of course so yeah that's where he kind of came from I guess which is kind of weird but it's hard I mean I've done that authory thing where I've just said these characters sort of arrived in my lap and appeared out of nowhere and unfortunately they sort of did I didn't (laughs) It's not like I struggled to find these characters. They just kind of popped up and I was like, oh yeah, that would be great. So um, yeah, it's hard, hard to talk about what inspired me because he's the one that sort of came along and inspired the story in the first place. So yeah, it sort of wasn't hard work in that kind of respect, which is very funny, I suppose. So he's occupying space in your brain rent free. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just capitalizing on it by writing it down and putting it in a book. <laughs> There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, I absolutely loved the book and I found it so creative because I'm not a theatre person. I love the theatre, but I'm not someone who has a background in theatre. So reading all the ins and outs of it, because, of course, you work in the theatre. So did that help you, even though you are working in the theatre nearly 100 years after this book is based? Uh, It is funny because the character, there is no one character in this book that is based on anyone. Um, but over the years there's been little snippets of dialogue or stories that have been told to me that have kind of informed a lot of the characters in this book a lot of the stories in the book um, are from that so that was really key and then like I said just being around the theatre you can't help but notice because these theatres are full of plays all the time and especially playhouses you're constantly turning over plays there's no time to clear anything out so they're full of old equipment from old things it's like how what's that how does that work what was it for um it becomes a bit of a fascination so lots of those things that I've learned over time sort of snuck in there um and inspirations come from everywhere I had no idea until I sort of looked back at it but the fact there's a wind machine in this and there's all these physical sound effects um it turns out I've lifted that completely from the mousetrap because they've got a wind machine um there's exactly they don't have thunder I don't think but they've got a wind machine that is exactly as I describe it um because pretty much all the sound effects on the mousetrap are live effects because it predated um any kind of recorded sound effects so and little things like that and things like my favorite Agatha Christie play is the spider's web um and it turns out again without really thinking about it the set of the play in the book um is very very similar to spider's web in many ways so um all of these influences all these things um that have kind of crept 
crept into the back of my head over the years have all kind of gone into this book um which made it incredibly fun to write because lots of people have lots of people like I said in the UK we love the theatre we really enjoy it but part of the magic is not knowing what's going on back there and actually just a little peek into the backstage area is just I think fascinating I mean it's fascinating for me and I've been working in it for 16 years so and I think it's fascinating for people that have no experience of how much is really going on back there. That's the thing isn't it the the play within the book is a one room play isn't it it's all based in a living room Yes, exactly. And then obviously the book itself is a locked room mystery in many ways because it's all based in a room, as you said, with only one exit and only one entrance. (laughs) Unless they're going to dive off the pier. (laughs) I was fascinated with the idea of it's it's a locked room mystery, but there's, you know, 200, 300 members of the audience also locked in there with them, um, kind of witnessing it. And I kind of, I found that idea really fascinating because sometimes in a locked room mystery you don't know what's going on inside that room but in this case everything is visible you've seen everything um and again I don't know how I stumbled across that that sort of just landed in my lap I guess I don't really know but um yeah I just found that as I carried on writing as I got into it a bit more I just found that idea uh completely fascinating it was really fun and there's also I mean there's something horrific about I mean, I could suppose I can say this isn't a spoiler because it's on the back of the book, but the fact that someone gets, you know, shot on stage in front of a full audience um, and no one knows because they think she's just acting is chilling to me as someone that does work in the theatre and has done, you know, I've done shows with guns and knives and simulated hangings and all these kind of things. Oh, lovely. And it is it is it's always a thought in the back of my head and it's horrible it's like these are great actors how do you know if it's gone wrong you have no idea um I think there was an incident on that magic film what's it called now you now you see me is that right now you I see it. what it's called um and they were filming a scene in a water tank and someone actually got trapped in there but she was, was acting like she was trapped that. that's it exactly that um and it's just like how do you Again, how do you know that it's gone wrong? You do, so, that's yeah. the thing. You don't. Because that was the one thing. I mean, Celia was, or as the more you unravel her story, the nastier she comes across. But she had that facade of, I'm lovely and everybody really likes me. <laughs> she was very good at it, but she was an old Hollywood darling. And that was the era of Hollywood where everyone had to pretend to be something they weren't even when they were off screen because it was in their contracts. Yes, exactly. And I think what people, we see actors as very outgoing public people. Um, And I think maybe we're coming to learn it a bit more these days, but what I think people don't always understand is actors, such vulnerable people, they've always got a bit of a front up because every night they're going out on stage bearing their soul um so that we don't have to quite frankly um and that's an incredible vulnerable vulnerable position for anyone to put themselves in so there always is a bit of you know almost bravado perhaps um with actors and you don't always know especially with someone like Celia who's being a bit overbearing a bit lashing out sometimes it's like that's often driven from a place of very low self-confidence in an actor which you don't think of as an actor's 
um, temperament perhaps because they appear as very confident outgoing people but that's not necessarily the case and it was almost they're good actors so they can cover it up it was almost as though jenny the younger actress was the mirror of celia in that she wasn't as confident she wasn't as experienced and she i mean she had herself had a bit of a past to her but she was what celia may have been at the beginning but celia obviously gained a lot of success and a lot of fame and but then that begs the question why she's in Brighton. But obviously all of that gets revealed and I'm not going to reveal it. I am very, very conscious of the time, which is dripping away really, really quickly. <laughs> no, no. We could probably talk about theatre and obviously your experience in it for a really long time. But I know that the book is coming out on the 10th of October which is really soon and publicity drive is building and everything else. So what it, what is actually happening in the next couple of weeks to really drive home that people should be reading the book? Um, it's kind of fun. I mean, I'm very new to all of this, uh, but I've done a couple of podcasts. I did a podcast in Australia a while ago, which is oh, wow. kind of fun. That was exciting. That was uh, the time zone difference was fine, uh, but it was kind of funny. Um and we've got a book tour, which has been organised um, by my fantastic book tour manager, Victoria Hyde, um, for Instabook Tours. Oh, right, She's yes. put together this amazing team of bloggers that have been so supportive. And they're going to be posting over the next few weeks as we um, lead up to publication. Um, and it's been great because as an author, you're sort of by yourself a bit. Um, and having all these bloggers on your side and podcasters like yourselves um having the support is just really nice and comforting especially as we get closer and closer um towards this big publication date that i have almost no expectations for i have no idea what's going to happen um when the book goes on sale properly so yeah it's just kind of it's a kind of a fun little roller coaster ride that started now um and I guess I just have to see it all the way through to the end, which is kind of fun. We can always do the roller coaster on the end of of Brighton Pier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hopefully, it will be a little less terrifying. Um, but yeah, yeah just I've, a gentle I've, slope downhill. Hopefully, That's I've always me. thought that looking at the roller coaster and the Ferris wheel, thinking if that went wrong because that's how my brain works. <laughs> I drown because it's on the end of the pier. But that's it though, isn't it? It's all about the run up to all of this and obviously being on podcasts and an Insta book tour is fantastic. I know that blog tours and everything are speaking with other authors. They've been really helpful because they're exposing an audience that may not necessarily have seen it. I mean, I was very, very lucky in that I got a preview copy through NetGalley. And I, as I've said already, I devoured it in a couple of days because it was, I desperately needed to know what happened at the end. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> there I'm, is, someone did leave a NetGalley review saying she's like, when she was like, I read it in two days. I had no idea what happened in my family's life during this day because these two <laughs> days, because I was just reading this book, anything could have happened. And I was like, that's such a great, that was such a great uh, bit of feedback. It's just like, yeah, not so great so for her family, though. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, they were a bit neglected during that time, I suppose. So, yeah. <laughs> are you actually? Are you going to do a an actual tour? So, signing books or anything, or go to any festivals or anything? I don't know if any festivals are coming up. I know that Hay on Y was a few weeks, well, a few months ago now. 
I would love to. I'd love to, um, because it's only such because it's such a tiny independent title. Um, there's not a lot of bookshops that have picked it up yet. So you can still, if you go to your local bookshop, you can still order it through them. Um, but I don't think a lot of bookshops are kind of stocking it yet, which is a shame. But yeah, I'd love to go round and do. I'm so I'm a very very shy person. So part of that feels lovely but also feels absolutely terrifying as well as like popping into a bookroom going hello <laughs> hi do you want my book me. exactly exactly um but yeah it's uh yeah it's all kind of yeah I mean I just love talking about the book and the process and how it came about um so yeah you can't stop me if anyone wants to have me on their podcast or talk at their festival absolutely happy to do it definitely so yeah so where can be in that if, and that's a perfect tie into where can people find you so they can contact you so you can come on their podcasts and their blogs and everything else well you can contact i'm on instagram and twitter and tiktok as well recently um and my handles this is jamie west everywhere um and i'm loving my tiktok because i've started making little videos about theater history and stuff and things that interest me so that's kind of good and in fact the th- videos I put the least amount of effort into seem to get the most amount of interest which is very very annoying for me after doing lots of research on history Um, always the way I think but I love I love um when people get in touch on you know Instagram because you can just send me a message um it's all open uh and they get in touch to say oh I've just read the book and it's just it's so nice to hear even if it's just they don't even have to give a comment they just have to say they've read it and that's so that's so nice and everyone so far that I've had to interact with um has been lovely and it's just I've had a great I know social media can be incredibly toxic at times luckily I seem to be avoiding that at the moment I hope long may that continue um but yeah I just love it when people get in touch to say that they've enjoyed reading the book because that's who I'm writing the book for really I'm writing it for all of these people which is fantastic. I have to say that I found book Twitter is probably the nicest corner followed closely by podcast Twitter where people just seem to support each other and go, oh, you've just read this book. Oh, fantastic. I'm reading that. What did you think of it? And it's really nice conversation rather than talking politics and everything else. I stay well away from that. Most of my hashtags are book Twitter or podcast. <laughs> well, no, exactly. But that's, and that's why murder mysteries are such a fun place to kind of disappear into because you know it's a world where you get to the end of the book and everything is you know justice is always served in some way and I think you know especially now it's just nice to get into a book where everything is fair and right and you finish it and go yes that's how it should be no one's got away with anything this time um yeah that's what I quite That's, like about them. That is it exactly. It's that you know that it's not a romance novel, so there's no wandering off into the sunset hand in hand, but at the same time, it's the rightful killer has been jailed. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Which it is, is how it should always be. It, no, definitely, definitely. It is funny that because obviously this has been put in the LGBTQ plus category, the amount of people that are expecting... I guess the expectation of those books is they are more romantically centered perhaps. So people often are looking for a bit more uh, from Bertie and Hugh. And I was like, it's uh, we're not there yet. Don't worry. I'm sure it will be coming at some point. This is a very, very slow, but it's, you know, the book is um, a murder mystery with a queer character um, at the center of it, but everything else is kind of up for grabs. That's my focus. The murder mystery part first, but That's it, it is, it's not, it. 
And it's not the only thing about his character. Yes. That's it. He, it's not as though he is the cliched character that many people may expect when they're reading this. He is very focused on what he's doing and the fact that he is LGBTQ is irrelevant to what he's doing. It's just who he is. Yeah, I really dislike the idea that, you know, gay men can only be one thing and that's an entire character trait. Whereas, you know, it's just merely one facet of someone's character. Um, and the idea that queer fiction can only be one thing as well. Like I said, it's all kind of, and it is getting better as well, I think. Yeah. Um, that queer characters are now appearing in all kinds of books, whereas before it would be quite restricted. Um, so that expectation, luckily, is changing. Um, but yeah, I always have to promise to people, it's like, don't worry, it is going somewhere, but it is a very, very... Slow burn. Very, very slow burn. It is funny. And <laughs> it is funny. Five. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it is funny because modern readers of the book are reading this through the lens of the modern idea of homosexuality. And it's, it's very funny because a lot of people have told me that they absolutely read Hugh as gay, which is fine. But I've... I mean, that is so thinly drawn for me in the book. I've deliberately really not confirmed or said anything about that side of him yet. Um, But because they're these two um, male characters at the centre of the book, for a lot of people, that is the assumption. And it might be the right assumption. Like I said, I'm not entirely sure where this is going. I've got to live, we've got to live through some more murders with them quite frankly to find out where they're going to be at the end of this so more characters have to die (laughs) yes exactly I mean it's not it's an incredibly toxic base to build a relationship on is the fact that murder is the thing that brings you together but that in itself I think is going to be yeah a fascinating future for both these characters if you're if you're reading a book for solely for the romance then perhaps it should be romance that you're reading rather than a murder mystery. I mean, I, I finished this year. One of my five star books was the house in the cerulean sea. And I didn't read it for anything other than the story. And it was a fantastic story, but that's all I read it for. Yeah. Yeah. Because the characters have so many facets to their personalities that if I was only reading it for one element of it, I'd miss everything else. And I think that's the same with this. That's the fantastic thing about books is because I often think it's my job as a writer to write one half of the book and then the reader kind of completes it for themselves. Yeah. Um, so when you read a book, you can make the book anything you want to be. I mean, it's kind of funny because I've not really put a lot of physical description of the characters in the book um, because... I don't feel I need to like the characters I think come across without having described them physically, but it allows the reader to fill that in however they want. If I put a physical description in the book, sometimes in some context, it adds nothing and takes away everything because it stops the reader being able to imagine themselves as the character. If yeah. I've given them a different physical description or the other characters in the book, um, I'm hopefully giving them the license to cast it however they want um, and really make it their own personal book. And, um, like you've said earlier, which is really nice for you to say, is like the characters really come across. So it obviously it's working, which yeah. is good. I, I imagined myself as somebody hovering on the outskirts, listening to everybody talk and occasionally turning to me and going, you think that's right? And I'm going, uh, okay, <laughs> not that's sure <perfect>. yet. <laughs> 
fantastic. And I suppose, you know, when we talk about murder mysteries and cozy mysteries, I think that's the aspect of the coziness. It's like you're just sort of, you know, you're okay. just peeking into this world and going, oh, that seems nice. Exactly. Despite the murder, despite the murder. Obviously. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it. Though. I mean, ultimately, the question has to be, did the character deserve it? There could have been multiple people on that stage could have deserved the same fate, to be fair. Yes, and I always think that. And I'm always just like, the most important thing to me, I've, we've said before, is like, it's why they've done it. But it's like, what is the inciting incident? What have you found out that means you have to merge them now? And that's the There's only no choice. Because otherwise, there's a few things. There's a few things. It's like, oh, why have you set up this incredibly complicated thing where you could have murdered them at any time um but it's like no what is the thing that's driving you there has to be now it has to be as soon as possible um and i think that's an important kind of impetus for you know a murderer to have because otherwise they could do it at any point really yeah i've i have to admit i have read a few books where you sit there thinking but they could have murdered them five weeks ago if that was the reason they were doing it (laughs) And I know that revenge is a dish best served cold, but if the person is dead, what kind of, they're not actually going to be alive to suffer the consequences of said revenge. So sometimes there are those elements, but this one, I, I, I loved the turning, the turn, the moment where you realize that was the reason why it happened exactly at that moment. again that's so fantastic to hear because that's, that's my aim. It's like, you want to do the magic trick of like pulling the rug out underneath someone's feet but still leave them standing you don't want to leave them in a discombobulated mess on the floor which is what sometimes happens when you pull the rug out at the end you're just like oh okay um but it's like yeah that's the magic trick it's like whipping the tablecloth out it's like you want to pull a big twist at the end but everything is kind of left standing um and yeah, yeah like i said that that's was... but hopefully it's a satisfying hopefully even still if you've solved little bits of it or whatever it's still a satisfying ending and you still walk away going yeah that was a satisfying read that's my only hope really for this book yeah well it, i honestly really enjoyed it i think that the twist at the end just finalized all the bits that were slotting into place all the way through because you were revealing little bits of character and purpose and it was only when everything was revealed at the end, everything slotted into place. But at the same time, you'd made those little reveals all the way through. So you're going, oh, that's their drive. Oh, they could have done it. Oh, they could have done it. And it was the point where anybody could have done it because the victim had done so many things. It was like, yeah, yeah, kind of deserved it, really. (laughs) (laughs) And I like books like that, I have to be honest. Fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much for speaking to me about this. And I could honestly talk to you forever about the motives, the creation, the inspiration and everything else behind it, because it is fascinating. So honestly, go and pick up Death on the Pier. It comes out on the 10th of October. I'm trying to remember what month we're going into now. This year is going (laughs) way too fast. And you can find Jamie on all of his social media channels at This Is Jamie West. And honestly, read the book. It is fantastic, especially if you love murder mysteries with a 1930s twist based in the theatre and you don't want to solve it all in the first five minutes of the book. 
fantastic again thank you so much for having me on like i said before book bloggers and podcasters are just so important to getting the word out about you know independent titles like mine so i really appreciate your support it's fantastic thank you very much my pleasure and thank you so much for coming on (laughs) not a problem (laughs) i have to say another massive thank you to jamie west Death on the Pier comes out on the 10th of October and if you're a massive fan of murder mysteries in the style of Agatha Christie, just like I am, then you really do need to pick up a copy. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod or you can check out my website for more reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week. Seriously, my book list is really big. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.